Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Logan Henkel, seven years of volunteer experience, currently a backstep firefighter for the Crystal Fire Department in southwest Little Rock, Arkansas, and also a full-time paramedic. For only being 24 years old, Logan's mindset and outlook towards the fire service is very bright. For those whose careers are winding down, there should be no question that the fire service will be in great hands with individuals such as Logan Hinkle. Hey, Danny. My name's Logan Hinkle. I've been a backstep fireman for about seven years now. Uh, what got me into the fire service was we actually lived uh, right across the street from the local volunteer firehouse uh, up in the River Valley area of Arkansas, just east of Fort Smith. Uh, from the time I was about 12 years old, I watched the trucks go in and out, middle of the night, middle of the day. Uh, kind of piqued my interest as to what it was. So, of course, I did some Google searches, figured out kind of what firefighting was and what it sort of entailed based on the Internet. Uh, when I was 17, I actually started, I went over to one of their meetings right after I got my driver's license. And for about six months until I turned 18, I hung out at meetings, uh, got to kind of see what they were doing. And as soon as I turned 18, it from there, it's just been the balls rolled from there. And now we're on year seven. Okay. All right. Is it safe to say, are you a first generation fireman? So technically, yes. My dad became a fireman after I did. Okay. So he's actually still at that department that I started out at. Uh, he's a lieutenant there at that department, helping. Awesome. Him, so. Awesome. I mean, you know, because it's it's always it's always the reverse. It's always my dad was a fireman, and then I got into it. But that's cool seeing how and hearing how you got into it first, and then he followed you afterwards. Exactly. Well, so most of my family back three generations has always been blue collar. Okay. So the fire service was just a great fit to come in because it's still a blue collar profession. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Cool deal. I like it. I like it. Uh, do you find you and your dad like talking about calls and stuff whenever you meet up or at, at the dinner table or anything like that? Are, are y'all sharing stories and things? Like that so he'll, he'll, he'll actually, he's, he's jumped right into it. He's a fireman through and through. This is year four or five for him. He'll, they'll get a good fire and he gets excited and he'll call me. And tell me what happened, and we'll we'll talk about it for hours on end. The wife loves it, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Like Thanksgiving here coming up, yeah, you, uh, you guys can just sit there at the table and and drive drive the women crazy. Like, okay, we don't want to hear about this the whole time. But the, I think that's awesome though when when you got the the father and son bond of, of the fire service man. So so that's awesome. We really we really enjoy it. It's something else that brings us together. Right. Right. Um, have you had the chance of actually being on the same incident or anything with your dad or no? Uh, we fought five or six fires together before I moved, uh, for, before I moved out. And that was some of the best times of my life was getting to do it with my dad. And, yeah. and it was yeah. kind of a weird deal because I was the one leading him. Okay. Showing him the ropes. It was right. kind of a backwards deal. Right. Right. Okay. No, that's awesome. And like I said, I like hearing that. There's nothing like running a job with your dad on the same engine or on the same line, man, and doing the same work. But yeah, I, I, I'm sure. Was it, was it kind of weird having to instruct your dad? Like, Hey, this is how we're going to pull this line. And I mean, he's, he was super good about it. Uh, he was super open to anything because his deal was, is you've been doing this for almost two years already. You show me. Okay. You know, two right. years as just doing it for a little bit, but he right. was, Super open, super receptive to it. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so you're uh, a backstep firefighter with the Crystal Fire Department in Southwest Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, tell us about the, the the station, personnel, demographics of the area, things of that nature. So it's a very low income area. Uh, so our district kind of wraps the Southwest corner of Little Rock. Okay. Uh, so three base station, pull through. We have a Seagrave engine, engine 24. Uh, we have a 75-foot single-axle stick. No tank. It's a true truck. Okay. Uh, we have a tanker, of course. We're pretty rural. We're only eight miles west of the city limits, but we do go to areas that are hydrantless. 
So we have a 2,500 gallon tanker, a chief's vehicle and a brush truck for that. Uh, we do have a live-in staffing program there. Uh, we currently have three live-ins. We have room for six. Uh, kind of their duties is to supplement volunteer staffing. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have a mandatory time per month. Like I do, I don't leave at the station. So I have mandatory time for months that I have to be there mm -hmm. to continue to maintain good status membership. Uh, something that's really cool and what drew me to that department, because I don't live in their district. Okay. Uh, something that's really cool and that drew me there is they have a very open and aggressive command staff. Number one, true leaders. Uh, I've learned more from them than I have in a lot of other places. Uh, something else is, is they have their own training building as a volunteer fire department, which in Arkansas is unheard of. Okay. Uh, we have our own Connex, little Connex city. Uh, we try and do live fire training every other month. All right. And, uh, what would you say the, the number, the, the, your roster membership is? Uh, we've got about 16 that are truly active. Okay. And that's that's making 15, 20 percent of calls being there 24 hours a month. So we've got we've got a good, good recruitment and retention with okay. that. So okay. in our area, it's hard to keep volunteers. Uh, most of the surrounding area is a higher income area. They're not going to be as apt, per se, to volunteer their time as some others might be. Right. Right. Most of them are working and busy. OK. Um, so I'm assuming with you having a, a live in program, do you have daytime staffing or no? So they staff, they have to staff a certain number of hours a week, the live-ins do. Mm -hmm. uh, during the day, normally some volunteers come up. Uh, so you're required to do 24 hours a month as an out-of-district. So I'll either split it up in the 212s for me, or I'll just do a couple 24s throughout the month. Okay. Okay. Um, we kind of hit a little bit on it, but with – volunteerism right now in 2023 it's very hard and especially for low uh i, I don't want to call it low income but like I, i'll say low funded fire departments uh especially um when it comes to um apparatus and things of that nature so that seagrave you, you your first out seagrave uh what year is it i believe it was a 2010 okay okay um so in order to raise um, money for your department, do you guys do like some sort of banquets or cookouts or things of that nature? Uh, so we used to do pancake breakfasts and things like that. Uh, so recently, most of the counties around us and including ours, I believe, went to a tax based system. Okay. Where the dues, the old dues system is now on the property tax. Right. So we saw we saw a huge increase of income from that. Okay. We went from about 40% of properties paying their dues to about 95. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely, I'm sure that's definitely helped um, for sure on that. So what's one thing Crystal Fire Department is doing to keep their membership, to keep that roster, you know, with a decent number of active volunteers? Making it a place that people want to be. That's that's the that's the uh, overall answer for that one is they're making it a place that people want to be. Uh, we've got fire chiefs that have expectations that you're going to be aggressive. You're going to put them first. You're going to do what you need to do to get the job done, regardless of what staffing you have. I like it. I like it. And I'm sure it's nothing for, for you guys going out the door with two or three personnel. That's about right? that's about normal is two or three. We had a fire two weeks ago that was about 30% involved and one of my captains and one of the drivers made first do with two guys and had it out before mutual aid got in. Wow. Okay. I mean, so just... that's, that's our standard level. And like I said, the expectation is you will get it done. You will do what you can with what you've got. Hey, I mean, yeah, you got to do what you got to do nowadays. Um, that's impressive for sure. For sure. Before, before the next arriving, companies got there yeah i mean you gotta do what you gotta do unfortunately it is what it is you know um i wish that there was something and i'm sure not just me but i'm sure others who care about the volunteer side i wish that there was something that we can do where that's not your your situation where you just have a you know a driver and a fireman riding the seat and that's all you got so that's crazy to hear about so you are a uh paramedic who actually loves what you do you actually don't mind riding the box 
in, in a day and age where a lot of firefighters don't really want to do that aspect of the job, how do you continue moving forward and what, what keeps you involved on the paramedic side? So look at it this way. What is about 80% of call volume for most fire departments across the United States? It's EMS-based. What place do we have to truly make a difference more often than not in these people's lives? True. Whether you're you're expected to be, day in and day out, you're expected to be a street doc, you're expected to be a therapist, you're expected to tell parents that their child is dead. All of these things and you have to be good at, and it's not just on the fire side, you know, fire medic, I'm at a private service, but we run 911 fire station based. Okay. So I'm actually based out of a fire station uh, with Ron McCormick over in Alexander with my medic unit. But you're expected to be good at your job on both sides of it. And I just, I stay involved in it because I see it that way. Like I said, you, you, that's the chances day in and day out to make a difference in someone's life. Whether you're saving it, whether you're talking them off a ledge, whether they just needed someone to talk to. Some of my favorite calls are just little old ladies that need someone to talk to. Yeah, I like it. I, mean, I like your perspective on, on looking at it because, I mean, a majority of fire departments are running EMS-based calls. And sure, the mundane frequent flyers can get underneath your skin at times, but you're 100% right with how you stated those are the calls, those type of calls, or not not the frequent flyer calls, but you have more of a of a of an impact you can do on, on an EMS run compared to a fire run. Like you know what I mean? Like the the every firefighter that I know wants to be able to make a grab, but grabs are few far and in between. But you can if 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 a cardiac arrest comes in and it's the perfect scenario and you get there and you're able to perform adequate chest compressions and do what you got to do, you can, there's a higher chance of bringing that patient back as well. If you get what I'm trying to say. I do. No, and that's if a situation like that, if you get them back to guess what guys, that's just as good as making a grab. Right. That person's alive because of the actions that you did. That's the same thing the news is going to say whenever you make a grab, they're going to say this person's alive because they rescued them. Well, whenever they look at this, the hospital gives you your feedback. They're going to say this person's alive because you got there and did good quality CPR. Okay. All right. Uh, with the, when you, the, your private company that you work for, that's EMS based, uh, what kind of shifts do you guys do? 12s or 24s? So I'm actually on a 4896. Wow. Okay. So you're on the box for two days in a row. All right. Is that, is that the only schedule, you know? No. So I've done the 2448. I've done the Kelly, the modified Kelly, the three on two off, two on three off, or sorry, the Panama, not the Kelly, uh, the Panama three on two off, two on three off. Uh, that, yeah, that's the only schedules I've done is those three. Okay. Your opinion only out of all the ones that you've worked, which one, do you like more? Absolutely, the forty-eight ninety-six. Okay, okay, because seems to be that's that's the growing, that's the growing schedule that's becoming very popular. So my question to you is, your first twenty-four man, let's just say you get beat down, and your second day, it's not as bad, but it, it's still a long day. When you get off shift, like. Do you have enough time to recuperate being beat down on those four days or are you working somewhere else on, on your 96? So they do a really good job of making sure that we're provided for the company does. So I don't have to work a bunch when I'm off shift, yeah. which is really nice to have. But I do work other places. I'm either at Crystal or I work part time at another fire department here okay. uh, in this area. And I'll usually take a day off if I don't. So what I try to do is I'll try to leave the medic and then go to the fire department. Okay. So so you you after your 48 that next day you're going to the fire department. Yes. Okay. So I try to do I'll try to split it to 3 to 3. That's 3 whole days after I get done with the fire department that I get to come home and be a husband and a father. That's 3 days that I can just disconnect. Of course if they have a fire while I'm at home we're going to the fire. Right. But right. Now, that's three days that I can unwind, disconnect a little bit. And even with those three days, 
you know, compared to the 2448ers, especially that Panama schedule, I'm refreshed when I go back to work. I'm ready to be back at work by that time. Okay. Have you ever had the situation where instead of having the 72 off, let's just say you picked up another on your, so the 48, not the first day off, but the second day off, let's just say you worked like another 12. Do you feel like you have enough recuperating time on the last 48 before going back in? I usually do because even picking up the 12, I get to go home and sleep at night, Mm -hmm. which is, that's the, that's the biggest thing is how many nights are you sleeping at home? Okay. Okay. Like I said, it's just, it's, it's a growing topic. Uh, I, I feel, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, because I know that there are departments where the first day is like busy work. They, they try to knock out everything they have to do. And the second day, uh, you know, they'll try to get some light training in, but it's not as busy as the first day that you're on. But, um, but there are some departments and they, they get hammered when they do the 48. Like there are some busy companies, busy rides where the 48 man you're you're on it and then the 96 they say it's perfect to recuperate and then you're back at it again i was before i I just moved medic units to go to more of an outlying station i was in one of our metro stations uh in the city of bryant and on that medic unit i was averaging between 12 and 16 calls in the 24 both days so i for about a year and a half i was on that unit and even with that usually still had a good amount of time to recuperate and come back. Okay. Did you, uh, on the time that you were on that medic unit, um, running that amount of calls, did, did you see a shift or did you have any issues where, you know, paramedics, I give paramedics credit because you guys have to think on the fly from the amount of dosage you have to give to, uh, like I said, drugs and all that other stuff. Did you find that when you were kind of tired that your, your, your mind took a toll or were you always just kind of on it? There would be times. Absolutely. Whenever, especially whenever we would have back-to-back days of 16 or 17 calls, there were times where I had to stop and double check again. You know, you check, double check one of the five laws of giving a medication, but I had to check again to make dang sure that I was given what I needed to give okay. or doing what we needed to do. Uh, and usually, as everybody knows, most of your weird or most of your bad calls come in at two, three a.m. Mm-hmm. Where you're having to do a whole lot, so I was I would have to double and triple check everything. Okay, all right. It, it didn't happen quite often, but when it did happen, I made sure. And you, it, it was noticeable. I'll say that it was okay. definitely noticeable. Okay, okay. Like I said, I just I, I always like. I'm curious. I like to to ask people that individuals that work that kind of schedule, you know, the pros and cons, because there's pros and cons to every schedule. To me, there's no perfect schedule, but um, I always just like to ask. Uh, So the next topic that we'd like to discuss is um, realistic training on a small budget. And you did mention that your department is somewhat low funded. So how do you guys provide realistic training to your members even though you don't have a surplus of money to like, you can't send everybody out to like a conference or whatnot. So how do you uh, bring that training back to your department? So we'll do some conferences, but it's through a bid system. Okay. Uh, they look at how much time of you, cause they're going to send the guys that spend time at the station. They're not going to send somebody that only does 24 hours a month and just kind of dwindles off from there. So that's part of the incentive program, which we'll, I'll kind of hit on it. In a little bit, but that's part of the incentive program to make it a place that people want to be and make you want to come around more is, hey, if you guys come around 48, 96 hours a month, there's a pretty good chance that you'll get to go. Like we sent four guys to end of the job in Wichita okay. this last year. And that was that was a really good time. We really enjoyed it. Uh, part of the deal with the small budget is doing the best with what you have and finding grants for what you don't. Uh, Part of that burn building that we have was done via grants. The rest of it was built by hand by us. Uh, At the time it was built, it met specs and everything, but it's a three. We have most of our fire load is single family ranch, ranch Mm -hmm. style. 
So it was built to mimic a single family, you know, 1200 square foot ish ranch style home. Uh, another thing that we do is we maintain a large supply of pallets, not only to burn, but to build props out of. Uh, actually, this weekend, November 4th, we're getting ready to do a uh, big mutual aid uh, get together class type deal. Uh, it'll be it's victim removal, search, VES and vertical vent. Okay. So and that's that's something we're bringing back around about every three months or so. We'll do it. And that gets nine departments from around surrounding counties, the two counties or the county that borders us and our county together at our training facility or the one that's uh, at the city next to us in Little Rock. It gets all of us together and we train together. Okay. I like it. Um, let's talk about that incentive program. So there's not a monetary incentive program, but there's a little bit of a process that they go through. I'm not entirely sure the chiefs kind of do it on their own mm -hmm. uh, to pick gets to go, but we'll send people to two or three conferences a year. Yeah. Uh, usually they're not going to be like FDTN or something that costs, you know, a thousand dollars. But uh, the first in fire conference in Arkansas will usually send people to, of course, that's right up our back door. Right. Uh, end of the job. I think the last two or three years we've sent three or four to end of the job. And then there's a couple others throughout the country that we'll look at and pick um, one that we're probably going to do next year. I made it. I made it last year and really, really enjoyed it as Oklahoma Fire School. Okay. I really enjoyed Oklahoma Fire School last year, so we'll probably look at sending a couple over there. They bring in, they brought in some pretty high-class dudes from like OKC and Tulsa to teach. Okay. All right. Um, did you go to End of the Job this past year? Say again? Did you go to uh, Into the Job this past year? I did. I did. Uh, they used Crystal sent there for, and then I ended up going with uh, J.P. Gardner, one of my buddies from up in Missouri. Mm -hmm. uh, we had we all kind of met up when we got up there, and it was a heck of a time, man. Uh, Isaac brought in some really high-class dudes uh, to come in. You know, the cousins, the Eckert cousins, as they call them. <laughs> we had <laughs> Jeff and Jeffrey, okay. Bobby and Jeff up there Okay, uh, for that. A couple other guys. Uh, I'm not really, I wasn't really before that a fan of just the lecture style conferences, but I really, really thoroughly enjoyed into the job. They did a really good job putting it together and picking out who they had on. Okay. Uh, and I, it's safe to, I, I'm assuming it's safe to say um, when your department sends a group of individuals to whatever conference, they are expected when they come back to, uh, I, let's just say you guys do Monday night training. I know most departments, it's, it's usually some sort of day or night that they, you know, have everybody come and do training. I'm assuming you're expected to show the rest of your department, hey, this is what we learned for for future tactics or or this is how we can do this to improve our skills. Absolutely. So you're expected to take that's another one of those expectations that they have is whenever you go, you are expected to collect what you think would apply to our situation and bring that back to us and kind of show us what they talked about. Okay. All right. All right. Um, what topic uh fire related are you are you most passionate about? I'm really passionate, of course, about the engine company stuff, but man, search and victim removal uh, and being aggressive in that mindset. Uh, so about 2019, January of 2019, uh, my now wife, we were uh, getting ready to get engaged at that time. And I get a phone call at about midnight the first week of January and her grandparents' house was on fire. Yeah. Uh, sadly, they, they perished, but uh, afterward, there was some issues that came to light that there were some some activities that should have occurred on the fire ground that never did. Okay. And so that has kind of driven me, and she understands it, but that's kind of driven me to really be passionate about spreading the word of you have gear, you have training, you have experience. It's your it's the expectation of the public. It's like when I lay my child's head down at night, I live 1.5 miles from the Bryant Fire Department. I'm friends with most of the guys that work there. My expectation of them is if my house is on fire and I can't get to my son, they will go get him. And that's, that's kind of something that I'm super passionate about is spreading the word of you're expected to search for them mm -hmm. and go for them. And that's something that everybody else is, you know, it's kind of a dead horse to beat, but it's kind of what drives me in the fire service is that and putting water between fire victims. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I get it. I, I, I definitely do. And sadly, you know, we have some, some individuals that would uh, debate you on that and, you know, tell you, you know, well, when they pull up and, you know, we have some, some, some individuals and some organizations where when they pull up and they see fire coming out of, you know, parts of the house are going to go, well, you know, if someone's in there, that's, you know, they're, they're pretty much playing God. They're writing them off where now we're, there's a strong culture of, of individuals teaching firefighters like, no, this is not the case. If you have any single area that you can get into to search, do it. I mean, we're trying to give these people a chance. People rely on us on their worst day to perform a job, you know, especially when we're telling people, Hey, at night, close your door. We'll come, we'll come find you, you know, and you got certain individuals that are just pulling up and just going now, nah, all right, if it was in there, you know, it's not survivable without really completely doing a 360. So I, I, I totally get it. And it's little situations and experiences like yours that will continue to teach others like, hey, no, this is this is our primary mission. We have to go do this. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's the worst part of it was of that whole situation is they were both found within six feet of the back door. Yeah. Hmm. So that's, it's really kind of, you know, before, really before that, I was clueless to most of what the fire service was about. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we were fighting fire. We were going inside and I was like, this is cool. I really enjoy this. Uh, I moved from there and went to Northwest Arkansas area, which is a very culture rich, very traditional area of the fire service in Arkansas. And my eyes were opened. And regards to? To really what the fire service is truly about. It's not just about, you know, go inside, fight fire. It's no, you have to save people. You're putting, there's a tactics to this. There's rules to this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's best practices and ways that we do things that are proven by experience and data. Mm -hmm. No, and that really helps open things up. Yeah, no, I I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Is there, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but is there one particular or a couple what I call heavy hitters that, that have driven that home to you that you look up to? Uh, so chief McCormick here in our area is one that really does a good job of for them is one of his, uh, it's actually on our, whenever you look at the fire department board, whenever I'm over there working for him, Uh it's on our CAD board. It scrolls across for them. Okay. And, you know, that's, he's, he's been a mentor in my life for the last about three years and I wouldn't be more thankful for him than if he did anything else, but that's something that he drives home. And one of his expectations there is you will go, you will search the best of your ability granted by the equipment you have, the training you have, the experience that you have. That is the expectation. Anything less than that is unacceptable. And that's, he's instilled that in myself and several others throughout his, throughout, you know, my time of knowing him and others as well. Okay. All right. Um, and I hate whenever I have a question for you and then I get like, I go blank. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I'm sorry to listeners. I hate whenever I do that. I had a question for you. Oh, got it. Do you ever see yourself going career? Because right now you, you you're a volunteer slash you know you do you do the part time stuff but like do you do you ever tell you know tell yourself hey I mean you're already a paramedic so it's like hey why not try to find an organization that does firefighter medics or so firefighter medics in Arkansas is pretty much non existent thing okay there's once you get outside of Northwest Arkansas, I believe there's three fire departments, three or four fire departments that have fire medics or run ambulances. There's a couple more that run ALS engines, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's only three or four outside of Northwest Arkansas that run their own ambulance. Okay. Um, like, like I said, again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but have, no, you, you're have you looked at maybe moving, going somewhere else? Cause I mean, I, the fact that you actually like, uh, and there's no no shot at you, no disrespect to anybody that 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 thinks like you. But the fact that you actually like doing the paramedic side too, have you ever thought about, hey, if, why not try to 
Because, dude, I, what I'm trying to say is, man, there are some places that are paying pretty nice for fire. You know, looking for firefighter medics. So if I go, if I go career in the fire service, which is a plan I have, but the first thing I got to care about is my wife mm-hmm. and son that are in that other room right there. Right, I have right. to provide to them. Uh, we just bought a new house. We just got moved in here. My biggest thing is if I go to the fire service, I'm not doing it for the pay, of course. Mm-hmm. I want to go somewhere that has a strong culture mm-hmm. of expectations, work ethic, what some people would call aggressiveness, what I like to call the minimum standard of the American fire service. And, you know, because I'm going to be miserable. That's my biggest fear of going somewhere is – you know, all the recruitment and retention strategies they do, you know, smoothbore nozzles, leather helmets, whoop de doo If there's only one bedroom on this house, it's not on fire. Are you searching it? You know, that's that's something that I would lose sleep over at night. If my if we if I went to an apartment as a probationary or a young guy and I get stuck with some crew that's just full of dirt bags and slugs, mm-hmm. I'm going to hate my life for the next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I've and I, you know, I'm young. I'm only 24, but. You know, I've been exposed to enough to know that that's not the right way. No, I get it. I get it. And I, I, get I, it. I would sleep at night and I would be miserable with that. But the biggest the biggest reason is is the financials of it. I have, you can probably hear him hollering in the background. I've got those two to take care of. No, and like I said, I totally get it. I, I 100% do get it. And no, none of us got into the, the fire service for the pay. But I will put a but. There are... And I'm pretty sure maybe after this interview airs, you might get some people to reach out to you to go, hey, man, look at what we're providing. Because there are departments that you are looking for. The the characteristics and traits that you are looking for, they are out there. And they're just looking for people like you to come into their organization. So, so I'm going to go ahead, Danny. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. So something I'm going to tack on to the back end of that is beggars can't be choosers. You know, it's kind of the, the ideology that my fire chief has is I didn't ask you to be here. Mm-hmm. I didn't beg you to be here. I didn't promise you some unfathomable thing. You came knocking on my door. You know, it's, it's that kind of deal. Uh, I look at it. I look at them from the outside in. I look at if they're, you know, if do they have footage out of their reports of them, you know, are they putting fires out, making grabs? Uh, there's a couple in our area that do a, just a stellar job at it when they have the chance to do it. But that's that's the biggest thing for me is you didn't get asked to be here. Okay. And if you did, you still realize it's a privilege for you to be here. Absolutely. I like the way you look at it uh, because it's, it's the people, they don't, they don't look at it that way. It's what the organization can do for them, not what they can do for the organization. But um you hit on it just briefly. I like the way you stated it. The minimum standard, the way you said it. Can you can you talk more on that? Because I like I like how you put that. So we're one court case away from the entire fire service being held liable. Uh, the public, thanks to the internet, YouTube, helmet cam footage, and news reports, is educated now. The public has the expectation of, well, the fire department's supposed to come rescue me. They're supposed to put my fire out. They're supposed to go save my kids. They're supposed to cut me out of that car in a timely manner and provide me ALS or BLS medical care at the best of their ability. We are one bad day away from being held liable in a court of law. So what comes with that is there is we're not far away from there being a quite literal minimum standard of actions and expectations for the American Fire Service in the United States. And sadly, many fire departments fall underneath that, fall underneath that line right now. And most of them, it's no fault of their own. They haven't been exposed. They haven't been shown. But the public has the expectation. And I did a, I did some stuff with this about a year ago or so uh, at Halloween, actually. Whenever the trick-or-treaters came up, we asked them, what do you expect of your fire department in these two situations? What do you expect from your fire department when a family member's sick? And what do you expect from your fire department when your house is on fire? When they said most of the answers we got when they said we're sick is we expect you to come and give us medical care. We expect an ambulance to come. Well, perfect. That's that's what our plan is. The answers that we got when we asked if their house was on fire kind of astounded me. It astounded a lot of people. 
It wasn't just, well, I expect you to put it out. I expect you to get Fido out of the back bedroom. Mm-hmm. Fido can't see. I expect you to come get him. Well, my son's paralyzed in a wheelchair. What do you do to get him? They weren't just what everybody might think is, oh, you're going to put my fire out. No, everybody had the exact, as soon as you asked that question, their eyes would light up and they would go to what they cared about most. Whether it was valuables, possessions, animals, kids, family, anything like that. So that kind of hit hard for me in that regard was everybody has something that they cherish and they expect us as the American Fire Service to take care of that. Anything less than that, anything than us giving it every way, everything we have to save and protect that is inexcusable. Really, no matter your situation. And how old are you again? 24. Fucking nice. Nice. I see it. I'm telling you, back back when I was back when I was going through it and, and you know, go, growing up in fire service and learning. I mean, there are there were some young, younger uh people that had that mindset, but I'm I feel like now now right now this this new age with all this information these podcasts these conferences these what i call heavy hitters that are that are laying down the bricks to this glorious path called the fire service man you guys are absorbing that information and that is that is a fucking awesome way to put minimum standards man so i i kudos man hats off hats off uh because i'm old uh, so <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that out there. I'm trying to keep up with these young bucks, these young bucks, man. But yeah, um, transitioning to physical fitness, functional physical fitness. What do you do in your department to to uh, make sure you, you you're you're up to par? So we actually just came out and developed for a volunteer department uh, yearly JPRs and fitness standards. Uh, remember how I talked about making it a place that people want to be mm-hmm. no slugs allowed. If you're, if you want to be here, if you want to do this job, cause, and I'll say this and it'll probably stir, stir this, this is going to stir the hornet's nest. Volunteers have it harder than any paid department in the United States. You're damn right. I'm going to, I'm going to go hundred percent with you on that. They have the same fires, scratch commercial residential fires. We have, they have the same fires with worse equipment, less people, and less water. And they still are expected to do the same job, right? So that might stir the hornet's nest a little bit, but that's something that seeing, having the opportunity to see both sides of it, and there are paid departments that are smaller in our area that struggle with that issue as well. But really rural areas of the U.S., those houses burn just the same. Those people are just as trapped. And you're going to get into the fact of you still have that same job. But with the JPRs and stuff, so if I remember right, you have to throw a 24-foot ladder one man. Okay. Uh, you have to advance the charged hose line, I think, 50 feet on a flow and move. Okay. Uh, sound a roof. You have to climb a ladder and sound a roof with your gear on. Uh, carry the saw up and down the ladder. And then there's a couple other things. I think you have to, like, I think you have to either tripod or crawl. Is the two mm-hmm. options drop water, you know, crawl on all fours, and then there's one other I can't remember exactly what it is. Okay, but it's it's not a timed thing; uh, it's a pass fail. And of course, those are basics of fire ground operations. Those are basic movements and maneuvers that you have to make on the fire ground. And if you're unable to do so, well, we we have a job to do. You know, you're not going to be terminated, but you'll be assigned. Uh, I believe the wording is assigned to other duties. Yeah, I like it, and. Without you know going too too personal, has Crystal ever had to put somebody on other duties for a little bit? So we recently just kind of got into this okay side of things. This is a recent development, so no, we haven't. Okay. Uh, of course, whenever you get done with that, whenever you if you, if you fail, you get a remediatory period where you still get to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know we have non firefighting quote positions and duties and stuff so i like it i, I really do and yeah you, you might have stirred some 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 uh or rubbed people the wrong way regarding that but honestly if you actually sit back and think about and think about what you said you're 100 right 
uh, I'm not a volunteer anymore. I, I used to be for, for a very long time. And uh, unfortunately, in my area, volunteer departments aren't really volunteering anymore. A lot of them have transitioned to part-time staff or full-time staff or whatnot. But true volunteers in rural areas, uh, things of that nature, man, like, yes, certain areas of this country have it rough, man. Me being a buff, I, I follow all kinds of fire stuff, uh, fire news. And uh, what I like seeing sometimes is buffs that go around to different areas in different parts of this country, and they'll take pictures of what a fire station looks like, their equipment. And you know how like most buffs will, it's make, model, year, and everything of that. And you look at what some of these departments are, are using first out, and you're like, wow. So the first engine that I ever fought a fire off of was a 1986 C-grade. Banana yellow. <laughs> I remember it still. They just recently got rid of it. But the first fire I ever fought in 2017 was off a 1986 C grade pump. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm telling you, man, like seriously, you know, you have modern, I call modern, you have departments with, with good modern day equipment, you know, that'll bitch like, oh, it's this truck is not this or whatever the case may be. But man, I'm telling you, if you go out, if you do some research and you look at what some departments are running first out on, you will cherish, you should cherish what you have and, and make sure you're, you're, you're keeping it up because what, what I, what I can never fathom right now is like, let's just say a struggling department needs a new engine. There is no way that I can see that they can go to their township, municipality, or area and go, hey, we need about a million dollars for a fire engine. They're going to well, look at you like, we, budget. yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, we don't, they're going to look at you, we can't give you a million dollars for a fire engine. And I feel like, man, I don't know who, who whoever's out there listening, we need to do something for, like, there's got to be some sort of priority made for departments on constrictive budgets because it's it's crazy man everything's expensive turnout gear tools scba fire apparatus like nothing in the fire service now is cheap anymore and then the wait times to get not not just apparatus but equipment it's since covid man it is astounding what people are i can't having remember to work who with. i saw i can't remember who i saw that ordered they ordered four engines and the wait time on them was like three and a half years yeah i saw it yesterday it's crazy. It's crazy, man, to 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 go, okay, yep, all right, Pierce, or, or whoever, Pierce, Seagrave, Suffin, whatever, we're signing this contract. All right, cool. You'll see your apparatus in about three, four years. Like, that's insane. And what, I don't, I don't know what we can do to fix it, but, and like I said, not, 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 I look at it not more so on the paid municipality departments, because a lot of those, you know, they have reserve fleeting, if they do it right, you know, they have they have things that they can do, but man, for the true rural volunteer setting, like I'd love to know what do these chiefs do? What what's their plan? Because it's just everything you stated, you know, the fires are still gonna be the same whether you're in a big city or whether you're in a rural area. It's still gonna burn the same. We need the manpower, we need the equipment, but you have certain areas, man, that they're doing it with two to three guys only. And it's the and you know with social media and videos nowadays, you'll have our own chastising these guys' tactics. But maybe these individuals or these departments don't know these new methods. Maybe we should instead of keyboard warrior Monday Monday back quarterback and all on you know your comments. Maybe if you're a an individual that can teach, maybe you should reach out to that chief and go, hey, like we can provide you. And you remember some training to get better. I mean, to me, that's what the fire service is, not ha ha ha, look at this guy hitting it hard from the yard. You hear uh they make fun of uh pancake uh you know, anytime uh departments do pancake fundraisers, you know, that's like a, a side joke, but man, it's what they can only thing they can do to make money. It's crazy. They have a they have a population of like five hundred people, so their tax base is nil, regardless of any income or you know anything like that. Their tax base don't have a tax base, right? They don't. 
But that community of 500 people comes out and buys $1,500 for the pancakes. Well, they just bought someone to set a turnout gear. Exactly. Exactly. I'm telling you, man, I I don't, I I didn't mean to get on a rant, but no, you're fine. It's, it's just, it's like, what the hell can we do? Like, there's got to be something that, that's, that we can do for that because it's, it's wrong. It's wrong for that department to show up and go, hey, we, this is all we got. I'm sorry your your house is burning, or I'm sorry we didn't search because you don't know what you don't know. You know what I mean? I mean that's it's it's a common phrase, but it's true. Um, it's it's easier for some people to have access to some of these tactics and training. The hardest thing, and uh, they hit it on it on the scrap the other night with Brian was vetting. You know, yeah. what if these guys go online and see some fancy new BS tactic and now they're dead because they didn't bet it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and I hate it's cut and dry like that, but, you know, it, it's hard. No, 100% right, man. It definitely is. Definitely is. Um, the term aggressive, what does that mean to you? So that comes back to really, because I, I think the word aggressive rubs people the wrong way, right? Some people see aggressive as, oh, well, you're just being reckless and crazy. So the minimum standard is what it comes back to. But being aggressive for me is really default aggressive. We're going to try to advance the hose line into this structure until the fire says we can't. We're going to try to search this structure until the fire says we can't. You know, being aggressive doesn't really mean go do cowboy shit. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes there are times for cowboy shit. Sometimes you got to cowboy up and just do what you do. Mm-hmm. But in most situations, just being default aggressive, defaulting to stretching the line to the door, defaulting to searching from the door, from the window, you know, searching from the fire room outward, Anything like that, just going inside of the structure and giving anybody that might be in there the best opportunity they have to live by whatever means that you have available to you. You know, some big city departments near us have 30 guys on a fire in eight minutes. Us, it's uh, eight minutes, we have maybe six. So, you know, it's, it's doing the best you can with what you can with what you have. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um. Yeah, we've hit all our topics that we've had to discuss today. Is there any? So, like, I know this is a podcast I created, but anytime I have a guest on here, to me, it's your platform. So, is there anything you would like to say for anybody listening, maybe that is struggling, or maybe they're in the same situation, department wise, like you? Like, this is you. This is this is for you. This is your time. So the fire service, uh, I can't remember who exactly said it. Corley says it all the time. Once you get outside of the apartment, there is no walls. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that out over the last two years. I've traveled the country uh, going to conferences and learning from people and guys across the country. I've made a lot of friends uh, in Texas, Oklahoma, uh, and all over the rest of the state of Arkansas and learned from them. My biggest, the biggest piece of advice I'd give to someone around my time or, you know, around my age, it's just now getting into the fire service is, Open up your walls, talk to people, go to these conferences, whether you just go to one a year on your dime or you ask your department to send you. And, you know, it's not just for the brotherhood, the camaraderie. There's a lot of really good instruction coming from some of these conferences that really open your eyes to what's available and what's going on in the fire service. And being a young guy, don't ever let anybody try and talk down to you. Uh, I've experienced a lot of that. And not not from anybody in particular, but uh, some guys will try and, you know, they've been here 30 years. will say, oh, you've only, you know, yada, yada. Well, at least hear what I have to say. You know, it's that kind of deal. I've had issues with people just not even giving the time of day. Mm-hmm. So don't ever let anybody talk down to you. Keep pushing. Keep living the mission. Keep serving what the fire service is supposed to be about. And you never know, you may end up having a positive impact on someone a couple of years down the road. Well, I could facts preaching a hundred percent, man. Uh, yeah. 
Logan, this uh, it's been a good one. It's been a good one, man. I really like the topics that we hit on. I, re- I really do because I don't know what the percentage is in the United States right now, but I dare say there are a lot of departments having to do more with less. And and like you said, sometimes you just have to do cowboy shit to get the <laughs> job done. I mean, we don't want to. Every fireman that I know that volunteers, whether you're a career volunteer, part-time, they want to go home to their families. When they leave for work, they want to come back the next day. But there are times where we're gonna ha- we might have to do some sketchy stuff to get the job done. As long as as long as we use good judgment to do it, man, I, I'm I'm all for it. And to me, the only solution would be until we can have every single fire department running out of their stations with at least four people on it. Departments are gonna have to make do with what they got. You know, exactly. I mean, we we have guidelines for all kinds of other craziness from turnout gear to helmets and and all this other things. But why I, I'm I'm hoping the American Fire Service can can start looking at these smaller municipalities, local agencies, and going, hey, we have to do something about this. We like, yes, the I don't know. It's just it's a rant, but I really hope somebody's listening that goes, you know, hey, this guy's right. Like we really do. It's 2023. I'm sure we've been talking about trying to do something for local agencies for who knows how many years, but it time is it's 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 moving. We we need to do something about this. So um I appreciate having I, I appreciate having you on here and um talking shop, man. So thank you. Man, I loved it. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Danny. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, um, not, not many people know Logan Hinkle, but this is exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reach individuals who you don't know, who have your mindset at your young age, man. But like, I'm telling you, I I'm 38. That is awesome. Cause I am getting older. I won't be able to do this much longer, but seeing this younger generation with your mindset, man, it, it just makes me go, okay, I, I think, I think we'll be okay. As long as the godfathers or the heavy hitters of what I call the fire service, keep laying down these bricks for you to continue to learn, man. So thank you very much, sir. Danny, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, pal. Stay safe. Try to. <laughs> <All right. laughs> If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.